This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Push Up Brentford podcast. Push Up Brentford is an oral history project set up to commemorate the last year the club will play at Griffin Park, their home for 116 years. We have interviewed fans, young and old, as well as players and managers to uncover their personal stories. We have created a fascinating living history of Brentford Football Club, starring the people who have made it such a special place over the years. This project is run by volunteers, many of them Brentford fans and supported by the art and education charity Digital Works. This episode is called Who Are Ya? Fans discuss how others have viewed their support for Brentford, often as eccentric, frequently with sympathy. They also remember some of the characters in the crowd as well as the importance of fans. There is an exploration of the least pleasant side of football, the violence, racism and homophobia, but also how the crowd has changed in recent years coming to reflect the areas in which the club is based. We finish with some songs and chants that have rung around the ground over the years, some general football songs, others much more specific to Brentford. We hope you enjoy the many voices and stories you will hear. Oh, any Brentford sport has probably been regarded as a bit of an eccentric for a winter support Brentford, you know. What do you want to support them for, you know? That's my local team, I can't see them. Even at school, people say, why do you support Brentford? There's a thing when you're a kid, isn't it, that you, you tend to get attracted to whoever's winning the league, you know. So, so uh, uh, and Londoners are incredibly scathing, aren't they? Maybe sports Manchester United, of glory hunters, that kind of thing. And of course, no one can ever accuse a Brentford fan of being a glory hunter. Everyone I know, up until very, very recently, has viewed Brentford as this tiny little club that almost means nothing. That They uh, look down on me because I support a championship club. But then I'm always like, you know what? Yeah, I support a championship club, but I go to see... 23 games a season. How many games do you get to go see of your Liverpool team? Well, yeah, I think people just used to think it was a bit special interest, which to be fair, I mean, it was. I was, you know, a sort of 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old girl who liked nothing more than going to football games and standing on a terrace and not even what one would consider good football games either, uh, with no friends and no family. And I used to love it. 
and as far as I'm aware, everyone just thought I was a bit of a weirdo. People have obviously thought I was sort of crazy and a bit bit sad and probably a bit bit desperate at, <laughs> at times. You know, I'd travelled up and down the country watching Brentford when we were awful. And I, and I think people, when I used to work at a big company, I think they thought I was just a bit of a loser. How other people view Brentford fans is, is changed over the years. When I first started supporting the club, it was a thing of sympathy. People would ask you, who do you support? You'd tell them Brentford. They would then be sure to tell you quickly who they supported, Chelsea, Man United. And it would always, the response would be, good on you, mate, good on you. Patronising was the tone for many, many years. When I first started coming to uh, uh, the games with Mark and Darren, and we stand in the same spot on Eden Road, whether it rained, whether it was sunshine, every week we were there. And naturally, every week next to us, there was the same people. On the right, there was uh, uh, a guy who we nicknamed the Alki and the Pit Pony, because like clockwork, whoever they were playing, whoever we were playing on every given Saturday or Tuesday night, they would abuse the centre forward in the same way. It was, Oi, cart horse! When are you going to get rehooved? You're playing like a pit pony. And then to our left, you'd have another group. Whenever a plane would fly over, you know, we're on the flight path, he'd be distracted. He'd spend more time looking at the aeroplanes than he would the game. And he'd be looking up, goal or penalty, he'd be miring the 747 and he'd be muttering to himself, God, it's amazing how they stay in the air. God, it's amazing. You almost check them in coming in, so it's like the guy with the red head, with the hair. He basically dyes his hair for every game. Then you know there is a group of girls. I say girls; they're all probably in their sixties. You know, so they and you know there's just a group of girls there who are enjoying themselves, and it's like a proper day out. There's Mr. Push Up Brentford man, who just basically just just shouts Push Up Brentford all throughout the game. Push Up Brentford! Push Up Brentford! <laughs> But, you know, he's great. And there's also a bloke who wears um, a, a knitted Brentford jumper, which I think his mum or wife knitted. Bernie Watson, he's, he's someone that really jumps out. Uh, he, t he took an Alsatian home and away um, for many years. He was a, like a misunderstood eccentric um, and he would be a magnet to stewards and because of that, police probably as well. And... Because of probably an accumulation of incidents around the country, uh, he got banned for a year or two years. And instead of doing what some people would do and just kind of taking, taking a low profile for a year or so, he came in drag. He would dress as a woman or come in disguise. And there would be kind of a wink and a nod at the turnstile, probably. And every week he would be dressed differently and he would be there still. But I remember standing on Brick Road watching a game. I don't know. It can't, and I remember looking round and there was this bloke stood a little way from me. And he was the next guy to me and he was stood sort of over here. And no word of a lie, he was reading a book, he was reading a novel, and he stood there on that terrace on a Tuesday night, and it was your classic sort of Tuesday night in February, it was, I think it snowed a bit. And this geezer just stood there, and he read a book. And for me, it was 
everything because it was like, he don't want to watch the game because to be fair, the game was shocking. And he's reading his book instead because, I mean, you might as well. There's no one around him, but he don't need to be there. Do you know what I mean? He could be indoors reading his book, but he's not because he's coming to a game because it's Brentford and so he's coming to the game and he's standing on that terrace, even though it was horrible and there was nothing to see or there was no, you know what I mean? And he just stood there merrily reading his book and I just thought it was such a perfect little f idea of what football can be for people. A great thing about Brentford and coming to the club and supporting the team is the community around it. And initiatives like the GPG, the Griffin Park Grapevine, that was probably one of the first um, attempts at social media in the time before social media that united fans, this message board that everyone got on board with. And all of a sudden people were being referred to by their handles as opposed to their real names at football football games. You'd point out, is that guy Savvy B? Is that guy McBe? You know, no longer was the match day programme, no longer was the website, the official website, the only way to get news. I'm very I'm quite old fashioned. You know, I love standing on the terrace and I love you know, I love all the sort of things like paper fanzines, I think are brilliant. So when I was younger I used to buy all of them. I used to always buy one when I went away to away game. I've got a stack of away fanzines in my mum's house. She's like, can I throw these away? And I'm like, no, leave them there. <laughs> She's like sticking them in the bin when I'm not looking. I started a, a fanzine back in 1990, um, and that's still going strong. It's, it's evolved, it's, it's digital now, rather than being analog. And I've met a, a huge amount of friends because of that. We um, gave fans a voice. Um, and we were able to kind of have articles and run campaigns, start protests in some cases. We say I've been privileged to got to know a lot of Brentford people down the years. And I say not always 100% friendly, but mostly I've, I've been seen as a kind of a friendly critic. Sometimes to do the right thing, you had to stir the, stir the hornet's nest. You know, we used to just be writing articles the whole time. We'd press it out. We'd go and sell it outside the ground. You know, we used to put out messages like, you know, anti-racism messages as well, which, to be quite honest with you, didn't go down too well with certain people within the club because, as we talked around, there was still an air around in certain areas where there was negativity and, and racism going around. And the fact that we had this platform which was able to put these messages out didn't go down particularly well, but we had to sort of kind of shoulder that and move on. What, what was great about them back in the day is like, you want to interview a player, you just ring them up, right? You, you know, you just say, meet you down the pub. The players used to come down the pub after the game to, to see us. So, you know, Marcus Gale used to come down to the New Inn, you know, Iger Anderson, Carl Hutch, they always used to come down to the pub afterwards. Right, Bill, how are you doing? You know, right, Laney, just sit down there, have a little drink with us and go off. That's how it used to go. There's none of this media department, or oh, let's schedule it all in, you know? Um, and that's why we've got a, still a really great relationship with all these players. Um, but we built up a bit of a name, as besotted from the stuff that we were doing. And then as years went on, that kind of just, that just kind of merged into the digital age. My relationship with Brentford really grew dramatically once I started um, writing articles for besotted. Um, started writing them, sort of sending them in the post and seeing them printed was like, great. You know, you kind of felt, wow, that's great. I'll, 
I'm, I'm in a fanzine, that's really good. When I first came, uh, I think I'm pretty certain I had a bubble hat. I certainly had a scarf. And I had a scarf for a long time, a big red and white scarf all tucked in. Uh, and I remember the ground being full of red and white scarves and bubble hats. And then there's a period when, uh, um, and other people will correct me on this, but there's, there's always been you know, hooliganism associated with, with football. Uh, but, but nonetheless, there's a period somewhere in the, the, maybe it starts in the late 60s, I experienced it kind of in the, in the late 70s, it runs on through the 80s, when actually that business of showing your colours was dangerous. And not so much dangerous when you're in the ground, uh, but dangerous on the weight of the ground. Some of the nastier groups had, you know, would use knives and, you know, like it was, a, you know, they were, you, could get, you could get properly hurt, you know, and probably you'd just get, you know, mildly hurt. So people stopped wearing 
anything that indicated that you were supporting a particular club. People had tie pins or, or they wore something underneath their shirt. Of course, in the 70s, football was a very different experience. Not at Griffin Park. I never felt unsafe at Griffin Park. But going to other grounds, you know, there was a lot of hooliganism and you f it felt quite intimidating if you were a youngster going to a big football match. I've supported Brentford for over 40 years and I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to pull out you know, a handful of instances. Birmingham, I remember three or four times where they've been fighting to get into the Brentford section. Um, that was massively intimidating. South End away one year, I remember being next to someone that got stabbed. Um, thankfully, not seriously, but still, you know, there was a, there was a kind of a, a, a moment where we, always, we felt that anything could happen. I've never seen any violence at Brentford and um, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know anybody that has. I've not, that I can remember, actually come across any violence. There's, a, there's no kudos. Um, Millwall, one of, one of the best games that we have here for the pub anyway, never get any violence from them because there's, there's just no real bragging rights in beating up Brentford supporters. I could beat up Brentford supporters. <laughs> and I think any comments you make about Brentford, you've got to say, in terms of nastiness in the 70s and 80s, uh, it was horrible at Chelsea. You know, West Ham were really nasty. There were serious firms at Arsenal and Spurs. Uh, yeah, Brentford was never like that. But uh, um, it would also be a lie if I didn't acknowledge that, that part of the fun of going to football was the feeling that there was this heightened atmosphere of you know, aggression and tension. I also find it funny as well, I have to say. Uh, there's a whole range of gestures and songs, you know, taunting the opposition, you know, sort of, you know, masturbatory gestures, you know, two fingers in the air, th that kind of strange you know, body posture thing, where, which in a way is all posturing. Uh, um, uh, in a way, I've always been sort of contemptuous of rugby, all this, that the fans all sit together and everyone shake hands afterwards. I mean, no, you go in there and you hate and you're angry and you're screaming, you can't stand them. Well, back, back in the day, uh, when there was sort of violence and aggressive behaviour, you could avoid it. You could join in, you could stand on by the side of it, or you could just avoid it completely. You always know what to do. You know, you see something happening, you, see, you, know, you can see it in the distance, you, know, you can hear the noises, and you just go the other way. Crikey, yeah. I mean, yeah, in the, in the 1970s, coming to football was not a very blessed experience. It was, yeah, I've been beaten up a few times. Yeah, oh yeah. I think at Hartlepool, I had my finger broken and it was quite, yeah, and there was some, there were some rough places that you wouldn't go to. And uh, I mean, a lot of people would say it's taken a lot of the, uh, that football is a lot more sanitised these days, but at the same time, it, you can, you know, you don't, get, you don't get quite beaten up in quite the same way that you would just, just because you want to go to football. I suppose it came to its head really in the mid '80s when there was a series of crises that that, that came up with Hillsborough and the and the, um, the the Bradford fire and those sorts of things that were happening. But I think that did change football, and probably for the better in that sense. It's much more of a family. I can I can bring my I can bring my children to football, whereas I probably couldn't in the 1970s, you know. I was a first generation, so my parents were from the West Indies. Not too many black people would go to football in those days because it was deemed as, as dangerous. 
We're talking about the sort of late 70s and we're talking about the 80s. Uh, football violence was rife in those times. Racism was rife at those times. You had the National Front who were actively, um, basically, you know, they were actually campaigning in and around football grounds. I mean, Chelsea was one ground which was, was known for the National Front, were absolutely active in there. Unfortunately, there was a spill-off between, uh, you know, what's happening at Chelsea and in and around Brentford as well, where you did get some quite bad sort of extreme right-wing, as you call it. I'd probably sort of say racist is probably kind of more activity. Um, it was the, the middle of the skinhead era. So when I used to come to Brentford, I had to kind of watch out where I was going, you know, stand on the terraces with, with my mates as such. If certain people would turn up, I'd have to kind of probably go somewhere else. When it went to away games, sometimes it was a little bit more difficult because you're all in the same end. So it depends on whether or not these guys, you know, like I said to you, proper skinhead, racist, you know, characters. Depends on whether or not they decided they wanted to, you know, pick, pick a fight or not, you know? So, you know. so it's one of those scenarios where you're always on your toes going to football. And people would always say to me, why are you, why are you still going? It's too dangerous. Why, why are you always going? And I'm just like, well, it's about your tip football team first. I'm going to go and support my football team. I'm going to keep going. I'll support my football team, and um, I'll just I'll just get get around it. And that's kind of that's kind of what you did. There are fans, and I see them now, and we chat, and we're you know we're cool now. But back in the day, we talk about skinheads who used to smack me, used to beat me. They talk about there ain't no black in the Union Jack. Send the bastards back. You know that was a chant and everything like that. It was pretty hardcore in those days. And I know a lot of people sort of say you know nowadays there's um. Oh yeah, you know, there's skirmish and all this stuff going on, but pro it's nothing compared to what it was like back in the days. Back in the days was properly, you really had to be streetwise, on your toes. You know, from Brentford fans, you used to hear the monkey chanting when the, um, the opposition black fellas were playing, you know, or had the ball. I thought it was part of society, it, uh, you know, there was nothing I felt I could do about it. I could not take on every single fan, otherwise I'd be beaten up every single week. So the only thing I could have done is just have to go along, just listen to it and just ignore it, just, you know, just try and enjoy the game. I did tell me folks what was going on, you know, because I think they would have banned me from going to football. You know, wouldn't but or be frightened for me to go out to football to any games. I remember going to a Fulham game. Um, this was at Fulham, Craven Cottage, in the mid '80s. And I went with my wife, my friend, and his girlfriend. And we were standing on the terrace, Putney, uh, Putney End, with the Brentford fans. And the Brentford fans, some Brentford fans, were making monkey chants at our players. And I was absolutely appalled and I was embarrassed because you know, my friends were there and I was just completely embarrassed. And I, I just felt terrible. I felt absolutely terrible that people I felt I belonged with, Brentford fans, were being racist like that. Didn't matter that it was to our own players or whether it was to the opposing players. It, it, it was just awful. The club didn't really help or back because there was a there was a tendency for basically these look up the bottom line. So the bottom line is people are coming through the turnstiles, they've paid good money and they come regularly. So we don't want to upset these people. So 
they kind of wouldn't, you know, if there was a case of taking sides, they'd be uh, see no evil, hear no evil. So if you, you go to the club, look, you know, I'm having a few problems here. The club, unfortunately, is Brentford, just would not, they didn't do anything, you know. And that's a bit sad, but that's kind of the way that it goes. I wanted to have Brentford to have a, a black player. And I remember that they, you know, they didn't have any black players because it kind of just, you just felt that there was somebody, there's a bit of a beacon, somebody out there that, um, that, can, that you can relate to. Um, and then I remember when Chris Kamara signed for Brentford. And uh, so Chris Kamara signed for Brentford. And I remember, I actually think I went down to the club to try and see if I can go and see him because I was so excited that this black player from Swindon had signed for Brentford. It was just the best thing ever for me. So that was great. And then after that, there came players like Terry Rowe. They get players like Francis Joseph, who I love Francis Joseph. And the reason why I love Francis Joseph is not only because he used to score goals, but he was, as we call it, he's a bit rags. So he didn't take no messing from anybody. And so you sort of think, I, I like him because he's actually, he's actually sticking up for, for me and sticking up for black people. So I, I love Joe, Joe Avigo as well, which I, I actually, I bought that song onto the terraces. I'm not saying I made it up. I actually nicked it from Wimbledon because that's what the Wimbledon fans used to sing about Francis Joseph as well. Joe, Joe, have a go. There's a moment in time where if anybody was racially abusing anybody on the pitch or, or, or uh, the fans would tell them to shut up. And I can't remember when that happened. I, I, uh, I, that, maybe that's the 90s, maybe that's more recently than that. And I think that terrorist culture just shifted then. And I think it's also around about the same time that some of the, you know, the nasty elements we were talking about earlier, you know, so that, that racism is beginning to be, you know, uh, uh, it's certainly unfashionable and more likely to be condemned by Brentford fans than it is, uh, you know, supported. I think that's a very interesting sociological time in British history, but I think a very interesting time in the nature of, uh, of football and football culture. And, and I have this view that is also related to a wider sociological change in, in, in drug use, uh, uh, um, which may not be everybody's experience. Uh, uh, but um, uh, marijuana was really a middle-class drug in the 60s and 70s. Uh, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, around the birth of rave culture, uh, you know, people on the terraces are smoking weed. And, and as a consequence of that, uh, um, you, know, you can't be as angry or as worked up uh, uh, and, and you're more likely to be, you know, flippant and witty. And I think the whole tone of football changes around about that time. I noticed a real change in the terrorist culture, probably towards the back end of the 80s and the early 90s. I mean, I was uh, massively into my music, you know, I was a DJ, you know, I used to go out literally five days a week clubbing to every single club you go to from the wag club to the, in the mud club to, you know, all sorts of warehouse parties. So that would happen, you know, four or five days a week, you know, and, uh, and then, and then you come to football on Saturday, then you go out Saturday night and Sunday. So that was great. And so football was separate, clubbing life was separate. Then all of a sudden, as it goes through the, uh, the warehouse scene and the, then it came to the acid house scene, and I remember going to an acid house party as well. And I'm thinking, I'm properly in my club ball, and I'm standing down there and I'm dancing away. And all of a sudden, Brian walks in, right, from the terraces, from Brentford. And I was a bit like, what's, what's he doing here? All right, Brian, how are you doing? And he's with his wife, he's going, right, Bill, she's brilliant, isn't it? And in my head, I was thinking, you're, you're not going to be here, you're, you're going to be at football. And this is music and this is, and all of a sudden it's like the world started to collide with the music scene and the, <laughs> the acid house scene, the music, all of them just started to come together. 
Because a lot of people after that started to get into football. A lot of people that never went to football started to go um, off the back of the acid house thing because they're going, oh, football's really great. It's not violent anymore. Everyone's just like, you know, kind of going peace and love on the terraces. And, you know, after Gaza crying, there's other people saying, actually, you know, it's got a humane side to it, football. So all through the sort of kind of early 90s and that, it just was, uh, it, was it had changed. So when I started coming to football, um, the age of racism in the way that it might have been in the 70s had already started moving on. And although it wasn't completely clean, it was progressing. Um, but people were still quite happy to be homophobic. And when Brighton come to town, you know, the old songs like We Can See You Holding Hands were par for the course. This is just what was done. Um, probably guilty of joining in with that ignorantly myself occasionally. But it's been good to see that there's been notable changes of that. I can't really think of many incidents these days where, where there are people who are being freely homophobic. Um, it's, we embrace the, uh, the fan groups like the LGBTs who can proudly wave their flag at Griffin Park uh, unchallenged and encouraged. That's a real positive thing. There's a, a song we used to sing about Elton John and Watford, uh, which is uh, which I have to say I still find slightly funny, but but there's no doubt that, that it's inherently homophobic. Uh, uh, um, yeah, no, it's part of it, and probably I underestimated its impact on other people. There were fr there were phrases, there were chants which were um, which was which were said. You know, you know the um, Justin when Justin Fashion used to play down there all the time, and he used to get it. You know, he used to get it loads. I think. Part of the issue is that you're thinking, who are we offending here? There's no one around us who's gay, so we could just sing these songs and it's just a bit of a laugh. Whereas now what's happened is, especially with social media, you can actually kind of get more of an idea of how people are feeling and, and, and how much more of an effect this has had. Whereas beforehand, it was kind of a bit of a mob rule. If you were able to kind of form yourself into a mob, you were the ones that dominated what was going on out there and what was saying and, and how things should happen on the terraces. I'm hearing probably more, or I've heard, more instances of homophobia, not, not whole stands singing something, but bits dotted about, just me, never mind what's then been reported to me. I've heard more this season than I probably have combined in the last five or six. We've done a lot and we've raised profile and people are aware of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the visibility of the flag, which I really, really like and I think is important. But in terms of really changing minds and really changing what it would be like for someone to be, you know, stood in the ground, I don't know that we've achieved that much. Honestly, I don't know we've achieved that much. Really, if you look around you know, on a match day, if you, you know, if you actually just turn around and look at the crowd, you know, it's, it's, mix, it's a mix of women, Black people, Asian people, you know, you don't know the people's sexuality. Um, you don't know anything about their personal lives. So I think, I think we've all been educated for want of a better word. And that's not to say I'm, I'm not a massive hypocrite and I haven't probably said things that back in the day were, aren't acceptable now. But I think we've all come on a journey. And I think because of the discussions, um, we, we're a bit more aware of other people's sensitivities and how I, I chant might offend or stop someone coming back the following week. And that's not what Brentford Football Club's about.
wasn't the norm for females to be at football. Um, I actually stood out to a certain extent um, by being a female, to the extent that people still come up to me, I remember you back in the 80s, and it was like, because being a female, you did actually stand out quite, quite a bit. I'd been working in um, restaurant kitchens, so I was surrounded by guys. I was studying engineering at uni, so I was surrounded by guys. I just, it was just normal for me. And I, for me, in general, in my life, I've kind of always been the only woman in the room. So I usually notice when I'm not. Um, so for me, it wasn't a big thing. There's a little bit of surprise always when a woman is a football fan, to be honest. Um, and it's, in some ways, it, taken a little bit more seriously if it is a more of a, um, a lower down division because you think, well, you haven't jumped on the bandwagon of a Man United or an Arsenal. You must have some commitment and, oh, and you're season ticket holder. So therefore, actually, they, there's a, an interest then generally because you, are, you think, oh, they might be, they actually might know what they're talking about. Beforehand, you would see females involved in football only in particular areas. But now, as you've got more high profile people being involved in football in so many different ways, they become, um, you know, they, they become icons for girls and women who are into football. So my, my daughter, she's all over. I mean, she, she won't let me not go to a Brentford game now, but also she loves, you know, she, she loves Nikita Paris, who, who's one of the lionesses, you know, Kelly Scott. You know, she loves all these players who have become um, icons for her and made her think, I can become involved in football. There's lots more women at games now. And really, women didn't come to football. Uh, I think uh, I think there's more middle class people at football. It, it wasn't a thing that middle class people did in the 70s and 80s. Uh, uh, I think you're seeing more Anglo-Asian kids come into the game, which is great, you know. And then it's one of the odd things about Brentford, situated in the borough of Hounslow, that there hasn't been a, a bigger uh, um, Asian support for the club. But I think that's shifting now. Now, you know, there is a an Asian family, which is a dad bringing his three daughters, you know, and I don't think that would have happened 10, 15 years ago. I don't know, I mean, everyone's got older, I've noticed that, and then younger again, because I think that was something that was happening, where we were useless, and I, f I feel like where the, when, when the attendances were quite low, and I think you had a period where actually there weren't really any young people coming um, for a while, and now since we've got good, we have young people here again. And, uh, you know, you, you see a lot more Brentford shirts on kids in, in the Ealing area. You know, so that, that's nice. You, you feel that that's really happening. And that bodes well for the future because, you know, once you've got the kids, they're going to stick with it. In those days, there wasn't singing or chanting like there is nowadays. That, that was probably something that came in in the 60s more. I mean, in the 50s, it was just general cheering and come on Brentford. And, um, but it was, it was when you got to, um, I think it was Manchester City, they started what they called this Brazilian style of chant, like City City, and it was highlighted on Match of the Day, and that's when it started coming into all grounds. But prior to that, it was... Um, everybody did their own thing, it wasn't like communal chanting.
One of the difficult answers to that question is nearly every song I can think of is uh, is insulting and, uh, and and rude. You know, like uh, uh, many of which are terribly out of date now in terms of their content and use. So, um, like like most Brentford fans, I still really like the the singing of Hey Jude with the you know la 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 the chorus Brentford. Uh, but I thought that was unique to us. Actually, I've discovered that hundreds of other clubs have done yeah, the same thing. So so uh, so that seems less exciting. Hey Jude, don't be afraid, take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart and you can make it better, 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 better. Ooh, na, 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 Brentford. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> What was quite good is that, you know, almost like anybody could make songs up because there was a kind of unity and there was a there was a feeling that, you know, this is just kind of what's done. You know, this is what's done. You know, you turn up to a football match, you make up a song. If you, you know, if you go week in and week out and it's a good song, people will actually catch on to it. So there was a good variety. I mean, I, I mean, I started off making up all sorts of ridiculous songs, you know. I mean, a lot of people might know the Alan Whitehead song, which was, was terrible. Like, you know, he flies through the air with the greatest of ease. His name's Alan Whitehead, he plays with the bees. The greatest defender in London is he, Alan Whitehead. It was really bad, but people used to sing it, like, you know. Uh, for me, getting a player with an awkward name into a song which can be... Uh, uh, spread across the terrace is an art. We had a player once called Tumani Diagaraga. Diagaraga, what song could you possibly use to fit this guy's name into? And then I'm listening to the radio one day and Big Freddie Mercury comes on and it dawns on me. All we need is Diagaraga, Kevin O'Connor and Diagaraga. A friend of mine, um, the Dutchman, he he came up with this one and it's um, Martin Rowland's song to the tune of uh, Rawhide. And it goes, Rowlands, 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 we've got Martin Rowlands, he's got Tony Folan out wide. He runs through the middle, passes and he dribbles, cause he wears his Brentford badge with pride. Rowlands! We're the team that we support, we support. We are the best team in the land, in the land we are the B-R-E-N-T-F-O-R-D. We're the greatest in the land, in the land, <laughs> and so on and so forth. I love a bit of bees up, full and down. Sing that to my, <laughs> sing that to my little and all the time. I think most of the songs at Brentford in the last few years have been uh, fairly kind of uniform. It's kind of like a, a songs that do the rounds of all the clubs and they're needed too. And I, You never knock anyone that sings in support of the football club. I think the ones that provide a little bit of humour or uniqueness, there's the famous um, Graham Taylor went to Rome to see the Pope. That's quite unique to, to Brentford. That's sung still by you know kids um, who have got, probably got no idea where that came from, apart from the fact that it's it's a great song. Um, and then obviously down in the town of Northampton, which again that's that's done the rounds since probably the fifties and sixties. Well, it was down in the town of Northampton, wasn't it? <laughs> Can you sing it? the fighting was done. It was down in the town of Northampton. He was shot with a farmer's gun. As he lay on the terrace, he's dying, with the blood gushing out of his head. Gush, gush, as he lay on the terrace, he's dying, 
he turned to the new road and said, N-E-W-R-O-D, new road, old school. Boxall, Danny Boxall, he's the best fullback in history. From some town in Ireland, he took us out Division 3. So that, that, I always love that song. It's from some town in Ireland, it's just a brilliant line. We're just a bus stop in Hounslow. Bus stop in Hounslow. We're just a bus stop in Hounslow. It comes from QPR and it's, it's so delicious that they have come up with what they think is this chant that belittles our club and they are chanting it whenever we play them. And then we beat them and we're like, you know what? We've not just beat you, we're also going to take your chant. And it's like, they designed this chant to be an insult to us, where we're a little club, we're nothing. And we're like, all right, fine, if we're nothing, and we're beating you so regularly, what, what are you? This podcast was presented by me, Jatin Kutubali, and in this episode, you will have heard from... Brian Godfrey, Dave Christie, Brian Burgess, Paul Stedman, Natasha Jocelyn, Mel Collins, David Lane, Sav Kuriaku, Claire Peleshka, Billy Grant, Gemma Teal, James McKeegan, Jim Levac, Dan Patch, Ed Cohen, and Kenny Raymond. The music was written and performed by Rob Johnson. The podcast was produced by Digital Works. The project was funded by National Lottery Heritage Fund and supported by Brentford Football Club. Listen to the full interviews and find out more about the project at www.pushupbrentford.org.uk. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.